Good morning. Uh, I am uh, excited to. Uh, did I jump ahead? Did we? Did I skip a verse? Sorry. Um, I'm excited to uh, to kick off uh, a new sermon series for us here at Lamb of God over the uh, the next uh, well this week and then the the coming three weeks uh, where we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 15 um, and the three parables here uh, really actually kind of are intended to work as one. Um, you notice that in in verse uh, three it says he told them this parable. These three are, are sort of one parable. So we're going to be taking a look at these over, over the next four weeks. And, and the, the parables that, that Jesus tells in, in Luke 15 are, are perhaps the, the stories in all of Scripture that are maybe the most written on, the most preached on, the most talked about. And, and there's a reason for that. It's because there's something about these stories that, that just have this sort of universal nature to them. That it's in these, the parables of Luke chapter 15, it seems that every single person is able to somehow sort of find themselves in these stories. That, that even though, for example, the, the story we read today, even though it's about sheep and we live in Seattle and I don't know any shepherds or farmers in here, we still very quickly and easily grasp what Jesus is getting at. But one of the things that, that when things are, are so universal is that they quickly become very familiar and can kind of just become like that old hat. And, and when things become familiar, not that familiarity is necessarily a bad thing, but oftentimes when things become overly familiar, they sort of lose their, their sharpness and their pointedness. And I think perhaps that happens when we read these stories in Luke chapter 15. That they become so familiar that we can sort of just kind of gloss over them and, and not really give careful attention to the details in these stories and, and the sharpness that Jesus' words have here. And so we're going to spend these next four weeks taking a look at these stories and, and examining and reflecting on these stories and, and what Jesus is saying to his audience then and then to us today as we hear and read these stories in the church. So we'll begin where we picked up this morning, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to to turn there with us, or it is conveniently printed in your bulletin as well. Jesus begins, well actually Luke begins, recording the audience around Jesus in Luke chapter 15. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners... And eats with them. So as Luke records the audience around Jesus, he notes that there's essentially two groups present. You have the the tax collectors and sinners. The the unholy people in in Jewish society. You have these tax collectors who, who not only were they sort of shady, dishonest individuals, but they were Jewish people whose allegiance was to whom? To Rome. And so they were sort of looked down upon that, that they should be like us, but, but their allegiance is, is to Caesar and to Rome. And then you have the, the sinners, the unholy people. Probably included in this is those with, with diseases and blindness and, and all sorts of things that, that it was often believed that they inherited these problems because of something that they had done. 
And so these people are gathered and they're coming to Jesus and they're there to hear him. And then on the other side, you have another group. You have the righteous people, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the holy ones. And they're, there, they're also there. And they're there because of Jesus. But they're not there to hear him. They're present to accuse him. Right? They're grumbling against him. They're saying this. They're saying this man receives sinners and he even eats with them. Now their accusation here is really one of self-defilement. That the idea present in this is that this unholiness of these people is sort of transferable. That Jesus is kind of guilty by association. And so by eating with these people, by receiving them into his company, that their unholiness becomes his. That he is defiling himself by associating with these people. And so Jesus hears this accusation and the grumbling against them. And that's what spurs these parables that we have recorded in Luke chapter 15, verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when, one, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Jesus tells this story, this parable, about just the one lowly sheep that wanders astray and its shepherd who loves and values and in fact depends on that sheep probably for his livelihood. What does he do? He goes after the sheep to find it. And what's interesting here is that the way that Jesus introduces this parable suggests that the behavior of this shepherd is not radical, but in fact perfectly normal. Right? He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine to go find it? But Jesus is saying, Look, any of you, this is just sort of common knowledge. It's just the thing that you do, right? If one of your sheep goes missing, that sheep is of monetary value to you, you're not just going to be like, Eh, I've got ninety-nine. That's enough. I just forget about the one that goes and wanders astray. No, they don't do that. You leave the 99 in the care of someone else temporarily and you go and you search for that sheep until you found it. And when you find that sheep, you bring it home rejoicing. And you return to those people who had been caring for the other sheep and you say, come, rejoice with me because I found what I lost. And all this is to say, if you are willing to do that with material possessions, with sheep, how do you think God operates? What do you think He does when one of His children goes missing? Does He chastise the child because he got lost? Does He berate it for all that He's done wrong? 
Does he just sit and wait and say, no, you, you need to find your own way back. You got into this mess. You need to get yourself out. No, he does the same thing that you do for sheep. Verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God certainly cares for those sheep who are still in the fold. The ones who are near him, the ones who haven't been lost, but it brings him even more joy to go and bring back the one who's been lost. To bring back the one who either because of foolishness or just blatant disobedience has wandered astray. When he brings that sheep home, he rejoices. It delights him to find that which is lost. You see, one of the things that is going on amidst the Pharisees is they misunderstand the whole purpose of their holiness. And the reason they misunderstand the purpose of their holiness and their righteousness is because they misunderstand God. They think that they need to protect their holiness and keep themselves free from defilement and and free from and, and refusing to associate with people who are considered unclean because they think they need to offer something to God. They think they need to do something to stay in His good graces. And so if I go associate with those people, those unholy sinners and tax collectors, well then I might become like them. I might defile myself and thereby fall out of God's provision and care. Jesus, in His actions and His teaching, He says, you've missed it completely. And in response to their thinking, Jesus not only eats with sinners, He doesn't just welcome them and associate with them. He's going to go one step further. He won't just eat with the sinners, He'll die with the sinners. Jesus, the Son of God, He enters into the world not fearing defilement. That's just remaining up at the right hand of the Father, trying to protect His own holiness. But what does Philippians chapter 2 say? That He emptied Himself. He took on the form of the servant. When God saw us wander astray, He came down. He entered into the mess. He entered into the dirtiness. And He took it upon Himself. And he dies a cursed and defiled death, crucified next to criminals. And why does he do it? Because our God is willing to do whatever it takes to bring his lost sheep home. And when he brings them home, he rejoices and celebrates because it delights God to bring home what he's lost. So what about you? As you hear this story, where where do you find yourself in it? As you see these two groups gathering around Jesus, who do you find it most easy to identify with? 
Are you the one who's come to hear Jesus or the one grumbling against Jesus? Do you identify with that sheep who's wandered astray? Or are you one who's remained in the fold? See, wherever you are, whichever one you identify with, the reality is, is you need to hear the same thing. If you're that sheep who's wandered astray, foolishly leaving the care of our shepherd and going after sin, whether that be because of the, the lusts of your hearts wandering into to pornography or fornication or whatever, and you found yourself in the midst of danger, or, or if you've just sort of followed the siren song of American materialism and consumerism and, and you just want stuff because the promise that's been made is that will make you happy and whole. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you've wandered to, the promise is the same. And that is Jesus has come to find you. And he's come to find you, not to berate you, not to just make you be heaped up with guilt and burdens. He's come to find you because he wants to bring you home. See, throughout Scripture, the whole problem with sin is not just because we have a God who's angry and mean and doesn't want people to have fun, but the problem with sin is that stuff robs life from us. It kills us. It destroys us. And our God wants to rescue us from those things that harm us. The problem with sin is it's dangerous. That it hurts us and and harms us and does the opposite of what God wants And that's to bring us life. The idols of the world, all they do is lie and lie. They promise life, but only bring death. And Jesus has come and he wants to rescue us from that which brings us death. So that we would have life with him. And so he's come. So that when we wander off, there would always be a way home. That way home is always through His cross. No punishment, no burdens, no being heaped up with guilt, but simply the love of God who's come to us and taken our sins away. Now maybe maybe you haven't wandered off. Maybe you've lived your entire life in the fold. You're with the 99, but maybe living that entire life with the flock of God in that 99, you've maybe gotten a little puffed up. You look at your record of of your church attendance and, and your tithing and all the things that you've done and you've accomplished, and it's maybe perhaps caused you to look down your nose at those who maybe don't have it all together quite like you do. And maybe there's suddenly a bunch of people that you just refuse to associate with because I don't want to be associated with someone of that lifestyle. Or that neighbor just really upsets me. That coworker really annoys me. And I just won't go to that person. What's your general posture toward the world around you? 
Is it judgment and, and chastisement? Or is it compassion and love? Does it pain you to see people who have wandered away from God, who don't know the love that He's had for them? If you've been sort of falling into this pattern of self-righteousness, that same truth for the lost sheep is true for you. That Jesus still comes and He wants to find you in the midst of that. And He still offers Himself to you and He speaks the same word that you don't have to do anything. God doesn't love you because of what He's done. God loves you because you're His child. He doesn't demand that you offer anything. In fact, you don't have anything to offer Him. Even the best that we have to offer God is is nothing but filthy rags when compared to that perfect love and righteousness of Jesus. And it's when we begin to see ourselves as as recipients of love rather than earners of, of God's favor, that's when we can begin to live the way God has called us to live. That's when we can begin to love the way our God has called us to love. I came across this uh, quote from from the great British Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And he speaks about the way the love of God fuels us and transforms us. He says this, As the love of God is the source of all true love in us, so a sense of that love stimulates us. Whenever you feel that you love God, you overflow with love to all God's people. I am sure you do. It's when you get to doubt the love of God that you grow hard and cold. But when you are fired with the love of of the dying Savior who gave himself for you, you feel as if you loved every beggar in the street and you long to bring every harlot to Christ's dear feet. You cannot help it. Man or woman, if Christ baptizes your heart into his love, you will be covered with it. And filled with it. I love that line. That when you are filled with the love of the dying Savior. Who gave himself for you. You feel as if you loved every beggar in the streets. You long to bring in every harlot. To come to Christ's dear feet. Those bleeding nail pierced feet of our Savior Jesus. Who gives himself to bring his lost sheep home. It's the Pharisees and the scribes, the ones filled with self-righteousness, thinking they had somehow earned God's favor. They're the ones who doubt the love of God because they think they have to offer something in order to receive that love. But the promise of the gospel is that God's love is first offered and it's that love that begins to transform us and reshape us. And not only that, it's a love that sends us. It's a love that sends us out into the world, out to the other lost sheep. Because the only difference between them and us is that we've been found. We've been rescued by the love of God. Is that we know the path back home. And so he sends us. 
He sends us to the other lost sheep. He sends us to those who are lost and broken and hurting. He sends us to speak life in places where there's only death. Because the truth that both the world around us and those in here need to hear is the same. And that is in Jesus, our God has come to find his lost sheep. Amen? Amen.